Today's sermon scripture can be found on pages 640 to 641. Be reading uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. A shot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and the faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious." Our sermon series for this, this season of Advent, the season of waiting for the birth of Jesus and for his coming in glory. Uh, we are walking through the book of Isaiah, through the great prophet uh, who, who had words that inspired hope in a discouraged people, inspired hope that there might be a righteous king, a, might, a righteous ruler who could lead them into a time of peace uh, with God and with each other. And so in this Advent series, we're reading from texts from Isaiah, and last week we, we read from a text in Isaiah where we were talking about how we're still hoping to learn, particularly learn how to be peaceful. And, and Isaiah had this really amazing image about turning our weapons into you know, agricultural tools, turning our weapons into farm tools. And we wonder, how on earth do you get there? And we talked about how we had to kind of walk humbly, asking God to give us instruction, to learn from God. And so we talked about seeking God's teaching for our lives and that we would be hopeful that that would bring peace. Well, today we also start with a startling image. If last week of turning weapons into plowshares, uh, if that was startling, you might be as startled as I was about Isaiah 11, verse 6 through 8, the wolf shall live, shall live with the lamb, a leopard shall lie down with the kid, with the goat, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of like, if you think about it, like a snake's nest. And the weaned child shall put its hand in that kind of a snake's den. 
And this image of all of these kind of uh, predators and prey living in harmony, I don't know about you, but like I never saw that National Geographic special. You think about like, oh, like National Geographic or Discovery Channel, you're like, oh, well, this is good kid watching shows, right? And then they're ripping each other apart. Uh, but here we have a very different image of these, these creatures who seem to always be at odds with one another, uh, living in harmony. And we ask, well, what on earth would it take to get to that kind of picture? What would it take to get to this kind of harmony? And I think we all are kind of living in like the beginning of this Isaiah text. It talks about the stump of Jesse. And we all kind of have our own stumps in our lives. The place where the growth has stopped, where things have deadened, where possibilities seem to have come to an end. And we all have different kinds of stumps. Maybe for you it's a relationship that, that has kind of gone sour. Maybe it's a job or a ministry or some sort of passion of yours that has fallen into coldness. Uh, you're not inspired by it in the same way that you used to be. Maybe it's a belief, an idea that used to give you strength and passion, and now it's just kind of a tree stump where life used to grow but doesn't anymore. And so Isaiah starts with this image of the stump, and I think we need to know how the stump got there before we get to where the hope is in this text. Because especially if you're like me, if you're on the go and you might pull up a Bible verse on your phone in today's technological world, and you tell it, I want to read Isaiah 11, you might not have read Isaiah 10. You might have jumped right to your passage, it's the one that we read today. And it's some really tough reading in Isaiah 10 because it's God as like a logger. And he's coming through when he's cutting down the trees. But he's using the Assyrian army to be that axe cutting out the trees of the world. And if you can imagine yourself into like the 700s BC to be a tiny little, little, little nation and to see the big armies of the world coming through, sweeping through, and you're trying to deal with, I know my God's in control, but what do I do with this massive army? Like the world tells me that my God should make me victorious in battle. What on earth is happening here? And Isaiah talks about God needing to kind of prune the world and to cut down some of the trees that weren't growing and flourishing in the way that they needed to be. But in the midst of the devastation of when you see all these trees cut down and these stumps, you wonder, how on earth is anything ever going to live again? How is this going to spring to life again? And so I can imagine as, as Judah and as Isaiah are thinking about this difficult time, this painful time, that maybe this animal imagery that we started with isn't just about animals. And I have to kind of admit to you that a lot of my research that I did in, in, in my master's and doctoral work was about the role of nature and creation uh, and how it's portrayed in scripture and, and what, what on earth's going on cosmologically. Uh, but I think that actually Isaiah is talking about all of these animals to talk about us, not to talk about actual animals, though maybe, maybe it extends in that imagination too. But I can imagine Judah feels a little bit like uh, a cow who's got a lion praying, looking at it. Like, I'm meat. I'm going to be devoured. They're going to spoil all of my stuff and take it from me. 
Uh, I'm like a little innocent child that was playing and didn't realize my hand got near a, 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 like a viper nest. They feel like the helpless creature, the helpless child in the midst of a predatorial world and they're scared and they wanna know what would a world look like where we get to play and we're safe together. And so Isaiah talks about this, this tree stump of Jesse and he starts in verse one, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And I love the image, like a shoot, if you think about like a seed as it's growing, you get that kind of like little green stalk that's kind of growing up before it starts getting leaves and, and growing. And it's trying to get as high as it can towards the sunlight and, and whatever else. I love uh, the, the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament that we read from. It got translated by a lot of Jews before even Jesus was born into Greek. And when they were translating this text into Greek, they used a word that could mean a shoot, but more commonly was like a scepter, like the staff of a ruler or a leader. So yeah, this plant's growing from it, but it's also this kind of kingly image of, of there's going to be a ruler that comes out of the devastation of our, of our kingdom. And so he's hoping for life and for newness, but they're hoping that there might be a ruler or a leader who could figure out how to create a society that gets along, that lives in harmony. And if you can imagine warring nations, when they, when they defeated you, they didn't like leaving your king, like their, their king alive or the family alive. So you're looking around and saying, how are we ever gonna have a king again? They destroyed us, they devastated us. But in the tree stump that is our nation, that is our lives, that is our, our kingdom, God is going to bring out something fresh and new and life is going to grow again. And they don't just need a leader that fits a certain genetic makeup that happened to be of this family line. They need a leader who can lead rightly, who can lead in justice and in peace and walks humbly with their God and humbly with the other people. And so Isaiah is going to talk about, well, what on earth, in the midst of this devastation, if a leader were to emerge from us, what would that leader look like? Because we don't just need a leader like yesterday because that got us into our mess that we're in. What would this righteous leader look like? And he says in verse three through five, this leader shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips are what destroys the wicked, his teaching, his truth, not the sword. And righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. And I wanna just call out, it might sound a little strange to, at the front of this to say, we're gonna have this great leader and he's not going to judge by his eyes or his ears. Cause you'd be like, oh, shouldn't that be a faithful, uh, shouldn't you use your eyes? How on earth are you judging if you're not using your eyes and your ears? But he starts talking about the poor and the strong and remember this imagery of these animals, of the weak animals and the predator animals. If you were a, a poor, oppressed person going into a courtroom and you knew you were, you were getting something decided on between you and like a really famous person or a really powerful person or a big CEO or you're going up against a big company or you're going up against the government, 
you don't want someone to just use their eyes and be like, well, I know this person's right. They're the, they're the bigger person. They're the better person. They're the more powerful thing. Obviously, we're going to rule in their favor. Like you want someone who can actually cut that off and choose to judge by what is right, not necessarily by outward appearances. Because the outward appearances can be deceiving. They can be misleading. And I love that each of our Gospels uh, talk about Jesus doing this kind of thing. And obviously this is kind of where our hope in Isaiah is going, uh, that Jesus is the kind of king that is hoped for in this kind of text. But I always love when there's something that each of the Gospels does because they have their own expressions. And so it's always interesting when they have something that they kind of say in common. And so I wanted to give you an example of the ways in which Jesus perceives people's motivations and thoughts and doesn't just judge by outward appearances. I'll start with Matthew. Matthew does that story about some people are trying to catch him and get him to say something that, that the empire is not going to like and so that they'll come through and get rid of Jesus. And so they say, hey, should we pay taxes? And you're like, oh, I'm in a losing situation. If I say yes, I'm saying you should pay our overlords, the people that oppress us that we don't like, that are stealing all of our wealth and our things. So if I say yes, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of obeying into this, this government that's oppressing us. If I say no, they're going to run to Rome and say, hey, this guy doesn't want us to pay our taxes. You should get rid of this guy. And so Jesus says in Matthew was aware of their malice and said, he realizes that it's not just a question that's in front of him, that there's something deeper. And so he's like, hey, what's that coin have on it? Oh, it's got Caesar's face? All right. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. And they're like, oh, I don't know what to say to that. In the Gospel of Mark, there's that famous story about the, the, the four men who are helping their paralytic friend and they can't get to Jesus and they go down through the roof seeking healing for their friend. And after all of this commotion, and Jesus sees the man and he looks around the room and um, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And he realizes the room's not gonna be okay with this kind of thing. And it says that uh, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak this way? And it says that at once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves and he said, hey, I have a question, what's, what's easier? Is it easier just to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Okay, get up and walk. <laughs> the guy walks out of the room. What on earth do I do with that? In the Gospel of Luke, he's got to heal a man with a withered hand, but it's a day that they're not supposed to heal. It's the Sabbath, you're supposed to rest. And so this man needs healing, and uh, Jesus, it says, knows what they were thinking, that the scribes are waiting to see if he would cure on the Sabbath so they might find some accusation against him. So knowing what they were thinking, he says to the man with the withered hand, he says, come and stand here. And he came over to him and he said, uh, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And nobody wanted to answer. He says, okay, reach out your hand, stretch it out. So when people aren't willing to say, yeah, it's not okay to do good things on the Sabbath, be healed. So the man goes on his way and nobody knows what to say. And lastly, I wanna to go to the Gospel of John. He's just fed the 5,000. 
in this story. And you'd think that this would be a great moment. People are excited. And the people in John want to make him king. And that sounds like a good thing. Like their response is, uh, that's amazing. You're our leader. Be our king. But it says that after they're trying to take him king, it says in John 6, 15, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so John shows Jesus again having this perception about what's in people's motivations and their hearts and what's below the surface. And you'd think it'd be a good thing that they want to make him king, but he knows that they want to make him king in the wrong kind of way. And they don't understand what kind of king he is. And so he withdraws and he goes out into the wilderness and he goes into hiding and goes into prayer. But the thing is, is that we also fall into that some kind of trap. We want Jesus to be a leader in our lives, but sometimes we want to box him into a certain spot. Like, hey, come be king of this thing. Jesus like, no, I'm not playing that game. Because he knows our hearts just like he knows the people in the story's hearts. And he doesn't just judge by the outward appearances, but goes deeper. And I think about uh, in what way is, is God king? In what way is Jesus the Messiah? And I wanted to give this image about uh, God as like the, the amazing jazz musician. Because like in music you can kind of expect certain things, but like you can't really expect very well in jazz. The improvisation is going to throw you off. You're not going to know where it's going. Wait, that note sounds weird, but how does it work here? That rhythm, it just changed. It's suddenly we're in a different key. What do I do? But every time you think you know where God's going and how you're going to box God in, God does something a little different. And so we tend to like the very neat, understood, uniform God. And like that, we like to know that we're that good little child in the story. We're not that viper's nest. You know, we're that, we're that, that the cow that's just grazing, minding our business. We're not lions going to devour somebody. We, we love to read ourselves into the good of the story. But I love that, that God's kingdom transforms those stumps into new life, that God didn't have a story in Isaiah of, let's get rid of the snakes, Let's get rid of the lions. Let's get rid of all of the kind of predator things, but let's make them new. Let's, let's make the children new. Let's make the cows and the goats and everything new. And so how do we live in harmony when we're used to certain kind of notes playing the same chords and we, we're used to, we like the way this sounds, but the, our lives are more chaotic than that and the notes don't always sound right. But yet somehow God takes the notes of each person, the notes of the outcasts, the poor and the sick, the notes of the rich and the powerful, and somehow turns that into a new harmony, turns that into something beautiful and life-giving, a new music score that we, we can't picture until we experience it. And I love that he doesn't take away those notes that sound off because that's good news for all of us. We're not always the good guy in the story. You know, that we could be the lions, we could be the, the and I'm not just trying to make a Detroit lions joke. Uh, God can renew all of us. 
And there are people in our lives that we look at and they feel like they're a, a note that's out of pitch. And we think we kind of dismiss them. But God figures out what's the right extra notes, what's the right harmony to bring that person into the musical score of the world. And God's imagination is often bigger than ours. And I hope that for us, whether in our family lives or our lives as a church, that we learn to embrace the weirdness, the special divine uniqueness of every individual, that we we can appreciate the music that comes from, from the odd places in our lives, not just the ones that are the expected places, our expected kind of music and chords. And I pray that we are a church that loves the odd assortments of these oddities, that we're a church of reborn wolves and lambs. We're a church of reborn leopards and goats, a church of reborn calves and lions, of reborn cows and, and bears, and reborn lions and oxen, and reborn children and snakes. And that all of the, those weird notes and those different kinds of people would appreciate that, that God is weaving a beautiful new kingdom of peace in the midst of our messiness. And so if we're looking for a king like any other king, we're going to miss it. We can't just judge by our eyes and by our ears. We have to look beneath that, beyond that. And so how do we listen deeper? Maybe in life uh, you, you really feel like you know what that tree stump is for you right now. My hope that if there's a tree stump of your life right now, that there's a new little shoot coming forth from that, that there's new life, and that you can welcome it, because it might be a little bit funny, it might be a little weird, it's a weird note, but that you might find courage and peace in the midst of the new life that God is bringing out of you. And maybe that our eyes and ears might be transformed in the season that when we go around and we see decorations and see Christmas lights, that we're able to see beyond those to the Christ that it points to. And when you hear that Christmas music playing and the joy it brings, that you might hear beyond it also into the good news at work in the world. And so would we all just decide together today to listen for the harmony of all things of the great composer, our God, who is making peace and harmony in the midst of our chaos. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, you know the hearts of each person who is in this space. You know who feels like they're on beat today, that, they're, that the rhythm of their life is kind of keeping pace. Uh, Lord, we ask that for those who feel in that space that maybe they, they could uh, hear Uh, something a little bit different, that something might be a change up, that they might listen afresh to your voice. Lord, I know that there are some people in this space that life is a little chaotic and there is no kind of time and rhythm that makes sense. Lord, I ask that you would help them to hear in the midst of the chaos um, your your sound, your, your spirit, your voice at work, that they might find comfort and peace somewhere in the midst of the chaos. Lord, I ask that you would help our hearts to be open to whatever you are doing afresh in our lives, that we might not box you in, 
but that you might shatter those boxes as we realize your grandness and the great love that you have for us. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.